for the end of Season 7. Just one story. And it might seem an odd departure from the normal episode. Because it's also a follow-up episode. And now we go back to Bismarck one last time. To meet a man who was murdered in a mysterious way. Was he killed because he knew too much? What is his connection to the other victims? And is this cult still out there? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. This is the last episode of Season 7. I'm going to take a week-long break after this, but we're going to have some best-of episodes next week with short introductions from me explaining why I picked that particular episode. Also, the art for this episode is a bit different. This is some fan art. TVP VTU made this art for me quite a long time ago. This is one of the flyers we have available for you to download at deadrabbit.com. Post them up around your town, your college, coffee shops, wherever. Help get the word out about the show. I also want to give a shout out to Stuart Meatball, who recently got banned from Facebook for 72 hours for promoting the show so zealously that they gave him a 72-hour ban. We respect the fallen, Stuart. Really, really appreciate you getting the word out. And actually, it shows. Our download numbers are increasing rapidly 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 so everyone who's out there getting the word out really really appreciate it we also actually have a new patreon as well new patreon i wanted to go ahead and okay and also this name is not safe for work so if you're listening to this you can turn it down turn it down a little bit there you go is that a good volume thank you so much for supporting the patreon meat hammer mcdickfist Thank you, Mr. Meat Hammer. Really, really appreciate it. Any support will do. And if you can't support the Patreon, you can definitely put up flyers or spam Facebook like Stuart or anywhere in between. Just helping get the word out about the show is totally, totally awesome. Let's go ahead, though, and move on to our first story. Now, yesterday, I'm going to give a real brief overview, but this is actually the first time I've ever done this on the history of the show, I would actually recommend listening to yesterday's episode, if you haven't heard it already, to really appreciate this first story. And I've never done that. I I always plan the podcast to be pretty self-contained. But yesterday, on episode 349, we talked about a string of missing people in Bismarck. We had Roy Hagel. He went missing in 1989 in Death Valley. He was headed, he was from Bismarck, North Dakota, and he was headed back to Bismarck, North Dakota. We talked about Michelle Juleson. She disappeared in 1994, five years after Roy Hagel. She disappeared in Bismarck. And then we talked about Sandra Jacobson and her son, John Jacobson, five-year-old son, John Jacobson, also disappeared in Bismarck. They were driving from center North Dakota, where she lived, to Bismarck, North Dakota. She called the police in Bismarck saying that she witnessed a satanic ritual and she didn't trust the police in Center. So she was calling the police in Bismarck, which is 40 miles away from Center. Her mother lived in Bismarck. And then she gets to her mother's house. Her mother could tell there was something mentally wrong with her and she had a history of mental issues was the terminology used. 
her and her son disappeared that night. That was in 1996, never to be seen again. None of these people have ever been seen again. The one clue that was uniform between them, other than the fact that they all were related to Bismarck, they all lived in Bismarck at one point or another. One, two of them lived in Bismarck at the time. Sandra Jacobson had just recently moved away to center, but she was living in Bismarck and died or disappeared in Bismarck that night. The other clue that was all connected was the biggest piece of evidence investigators had was a car left at a scene. Roy Hagel, his car was in the desert. Keys and wallet on the driver's side seat. Michelle Juleson, her car was found. No keys, no wallet. It was completely empty except for a half-eaten gas station sandwich. Sandra Jacobson and John Jacobson, their car was found at a beach near a pretty wild river. Keys in the ignition, purse on the seat. So, there's some coincidences there, most likely, right? But let's take a look at one more case. And there's two things that make this really, really creepy. When I was researching this story, when I was researching this story, and I talked about this on last night's episode as well, I said, originally I was just going to do a story on Sandra Jacobson and her son, John Jacobson. A creepy story about a mom possibly running away with her son, possibly committing suicide with her son, possibly actually having run afoul of saint worshippers, and after reporting it to the police, went missing. Because she called them that night. She called them that night, the night she went missing. The police. But as I was researching the story of Sandra Jacobson, I was on a forum called Tapatalk, and there is a special part of this forum called Porchlight, which is dedicated to, like, unsolved mysteries, people missing, things like that. Leaving the porch light on for this person to come home. And that was the first time I saw that the Sandra Jacobson story could be related. That was actually the first time I ever heard of Roy Hagel or Michelle Juleson, was reading that article. And I was like, there's a lot of similarities. Someone wrote an article saying, these cases have gone 20 years without being solved. They're the three longest unsolved cases in Bismarck, North Dakota. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. This is the first time I've come across this info. So the story built out from there. Originally, it was just a short story to start off an episode about a creepy disappearance. And I go, maybe there's more to this. The way I have my research notes set up, it's a little complicated, but while I was getting my bookmark folders and everything, an article kept popping up that had no natural relationship to any of those other three disappearances. But I kept going, why is it, why is it in this folder? Why is it here? And I read it over and I go, I don't, this, I'm, why is it here? Now I was, I was skimming it. That'll become apparent in a second, but. And so when I was prepping last night's story, I left it out. Because for about a week, I was kind of putting stuff together on this one. Maybe about three days on yesterday's episode. And then today, after my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu lesson, and actually that's worked out really good for the show, because now Tuesday, Thursdays, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I get totally amped up. We have a striking class right after it. We do some Muay Thai striking for about a half hour. And then I go and sit in a coffee shop for three hours. And just do research for the show. It's really benefited the stories that I think I've been able to bring. And it's benefited the layers of research I've been able to do. Another great thing from the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. I recommend you guys getting involved in some sort of physical activity. You'll find it's very, very beneficial. But today I was looking... Today I was looking through my notes. And that article came back up. I was cleaning up bookmarks. You're like, Jason, what article? What article are you talking about? 
Bismarck, North Dakota. November 16th, 1996, Sandra Jacobson and John Jacobson go missing. October 2nd, 2005. There's a Bismarck man known as Laverne Nastrum. Now, he's found in Tuttle, North Dakota. And that's about, I believe, if I remember correctly, about an hour away. A rancher is out checking his fence line, which sounds like a totally tedious job, and I'm sure it, I'm sure it is. I bet being a rancher is one of the most boring jobs. It'd be a job that you'd really have to love your work. Being outside, playing with your dog, raising Babe the Pig, deciphering Charlotte's meaning in her webs, all of those things. But this particular day is super boring. He was just checking the fence line. And he sees a car resting against his fence. Dag, nabbit! Them damn hippies and them them automobiles? What'd they do? And as he's walking out to see what's going on, because it's just sitting against the fence, he sees a body in the grass. And he's like, uh, definitely, definitely hippies. This guy must be taking a nap. But he can tell just where he's at. The dude's dead. Calls the authorities. The police come out. And they identify him as Laverne Nastrom. They're looking at this scene, and they go, okay, here we have this guy dead on the ground. Obviously hit by a car. Head damage, tire track, a comical tire track on his back, his stomach's flat. He's killed by this car. This car that is 75 feet away and resting against this fence. Now, these things happen. People get ran over by their own cars. I wouldn't say a lot, but it does happen. I remember once, I didn't get run over by my car. Obviously, I didn't die. But I remember once, it was Christmas Day. I was trying to get to my grandma's house. And my car broke down. And I got out. And I was like, no one would help me. And I was dressed up in like my Christmas best. I had this nice shirt on, tie, and all that stuff. That's all. And no pants, no shoes, nothing. Totally naked, but I had a shirt and tie on. My car is, I'm maybe two blocks from my grandma's house. My car dies. Now, I've lived in this area for the past couple years. I visited it every summer. I knew this area like the back of my hand. So I go, I'm in the ma- middle of a major intersection. This was Hazel and Greenback, if you know the area, in Citrus Heights. Orangevale, technically, at that point. I go, well, I'm going to have to push my own car. Because no one's stopping for me. Everyone's a big old jerk today on Christmas. Thanks a lot. So I get out, and I start pushing my car, and I'm pushing it basically by the steering wheel. Yes, I am an incredibly strong human being. And I'm pushing it. And I start to turn it, and I'm like, because I'm at a turn section, and I'm turning the car. And then I notice something, that the car is moving faster than I'm pushing it. And then it dawns on me that even though I had lived in this area for the past four or five years and had visited this area every summer and every Christmas, there is a pretty big hill on the corner of Greenback and Hazel. And I had never really realized it before. And so the car starts moving faster than I'm pushing it. Then the car begins to move faster than I can move. And I had to make a split decision. I could jump into the car, hit the brakes, and stop the car in its tracks. Or just let it go. And by the time I was realizing what I could do, my arms are already getting hyperextended. The car was moving far faster than me. So I just let it go. There's an old 88 Datsun. Took my hands off the wheel and stood there. And I watched it go down this hill. And I remember there was this realization because I'm thinking the, the road in front of it was completely empty. 
And then on the other side was incoming traffic. It's a four-lane road. And I'm watching this car go down this hill, and I'm thinking, please keep going right. Please stay to the right. Please stay to the right. And it does, and it hits this giant metal pole in a parking lot and comes to a complete stop. And the second it hits the pole, probably about 50 feet away to my left, I hear someone go, yee-haw! Because it was a hick town. It still is a hick town, by the way. And I remember just being like, now again, I was in much better better shape. I think I was like 22, 23. So I ran to my grandma's house. I was in really, really good shape when I was in college. Much stronger as well. I get to my grandma's house and say, I just, I just crashed my car. And then for the rest of the life of that car, it had a comically shaped... It looked like Bugs Bunny hit it with a mallet. Like there was a straight up perfect U in the front of the car where it hit that pole so hard it just dug a hole in it. Now, I'm telling you that story because people can easily get killed by their own cars. If I had tried jumping into the car, I could have fallen underneath it, or I could have not hit the brakes in time, or the car still could have hit something and I would have been stuck in the car and not been able to control it. So I just let it go. But they also had that young actor. This is probably more apt story because this actually was more like what we're talking about. There was a dude in, he was the guy in the new Star Trek movie. He was Chekhov, and he was in that movie Green Room. He got killed by his own car. Young young actor. The brakes were faulty on it, and the car was actually in the middle of a recall, and he was like closing his gate of his private driveway. The car rolled down the hill and pinned him against the gate, killed him. So these things do happen. So when the cops come out and they see this dude dead, his car 75 feet away, they immediately think he, maybe he was working on his car, maybe the car broke down and like a jack went out or something like that and it rolled over him. Those explanations are quickly dismissed because they go to the car and the transmission of the car is set to park. Now, no car is going to be so faulty that you put it in park and then it's going to roll 75 feet. I mean, I guess if you had no transmission, if it was just a cardboard box with a P painted on it and you put it in that, that could happen. But the police saw this and they go, he wasn't alone. There's no way this could have happened. And of course, you know, they obviously test the car and they go, yeah, this transmission works. What must have happened was he got hit by a car, his own car, and then someone put the car in park. After it rested against the fence. So, what looked like an accident in the beginning, they immediately go, this is a homicide. This guy was murdered. Sheriff Doug Howard starts investigating this. This was an interesting quote I found from one of the only articles detailing this. Sheriff Doug Howard says, We're considering this as a homicide. And here's a quote from the actual, like, here's a passage from the actual article. We're considering this a homicide, the sheriff said. When asked why, he responded, good question. And that's an interesting way to look, that's an interesting way to answer that, because it could be he's saying, yeah, it is a good question why he was murdered. It could also be a, a thing like, it is a good question why we're investigating this as a homicide. Is this a homicide? But it's, it's very, it's a very mysterious, or it could mean even something even else. It's a very mysterious answer. But he does pursue it. As a homicide investigation, this guy found in this field, ran over by his own car that was then put into park. They go, there had to be someone else out here with him. The farmer didn't do it. 
They investigate. They interview 50 people. And again, it's funny because it seems like it should have just been written. I think a lot of police departments would have just written it off as an accident. And then the transmission must have been faulty. These things happen, so on and so forth. They investigate 50 people over the course of years. They end up giving a couple people polygraphs. They start traveling to other parts of the state. Trying to figure out what happened with this guy. As of now, there's a $5,000 reward still for any evidence leading to the capture of whoever killed him. It's still being investigated as a homicide. This is the only unsolved homicide in Kidder County, which is where Tuttle, the city of Tuttle, is. And it was like on a maintenance road that's very, very rarely traveled. It's basically farmland. Now... They're going to look at a couple different things. One, who was Laverne Nastrum? He's a criminal. He got he was currently like being investigated for like meth possession or he'd recently been charged with meth possession. He also, and this is where we start to get into connections for yesterday's episode. He also was known for breaking into and been and he'd been charged multiple times for this. I think he was actually found guilty and on probation for breaking into abandoned farms in Kidder County. So you have a guy who's breaking into old farms, looking for anything he can sell, make a little money, buy a little meth. So when we're talking about a cold tax, and Kidder County and where Center is, is it there? Center and Tuttle are also about an hour away. There's basically a triangle between Bismarck, Tuttle, and Center. But So the idea of someone breaking into abandoned farms in the Tuttle area We could extrapolate that he also, those are the ones he was caught for. He may have actually been breaking into farms near Center, North Dakota, where a woman says that she saw some occult activity, a ritual. Could it be possible that Laverne broke into a farm, saw something creepy, saw something he wasn't supposed to see, was chased to Tuttle, and then killed with his own car? Is it possible through his meth dealings? He got into something. We see a lot of connections between methamphetamine use and Satan worshiping. And just just so we're clear here too, when I'm talking about Satan worshippers, I'm not talking about like Church of Satan or Temple of Set, like legitimate organized religions that believe that the human self is greater than any sort of outside force. They reject God. Satan is just a marketing gimmick or an image that they use to kind of like push people's buttons. Really, it's about worshiping the self and hedonism. I'm not talking about that type of legitimate religion i'm talking about what basically like child sacrifice human sacrifice cult activity that's based around worshiping some sort of dark god i'm not talking about like anton levey just so we're clear on that because i've been using the term saint worshiping a lot over the past few days and i wanted to make that distinction i've made that distinction in the past but i wanted to make it again so you have this guy who but 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 saying that we do see a lot of cross contamination between people who do meth and people who believe in really dark things and people who worship really dark things because the meth is rotting their brain really and so we have this guy known meth user known person who's breaking into abandoned farms he may have come across some Secret ritual, he may have been part of a secret ritual. He's connected to the three other incidents that I just recently went over and went over yesterday. By a key fact, again, we have the car 
as the key piece of evidence. Keys in the ignition, an empty car. All four of these cases, we have a car as a key piece of evidence. And you go, Jason, that's a bit of a stretch. This guy was in Tuttle. He was from Bismarck, but he was in Tuttle at the time. Yes, a car ran him over. That someone else was probably there because somebody would have had to put it in park. The car worked normally when the police tested it. So yes, you have four cases where a car is a key piece of evidence. But that's still a bit of a stretch. Sandra Jacobson and her son John disappeared in 1996. But Sandra Jacobson had two children. John Jacobson and Spencer Nastrum, Laverne's son. Laverne and Sharon Jacobson were married. They divorced three months before she disappeared. They lived in Bismarck together. She leaves him to go to Center, North Dakota. And then while driving back to Bismarck, she calls the police and says she saw a satanic ritual. She goes missing that night. What would you do if your ex-wife and the mother of your son went missing? Now, of course, someone can make a joke about ex-wives and stuff like that. But The fact that she made the call saying that there was a satanic ritual in Central North Dakota, that was common news at the time. It made the story very evocative. Is it possible that Laverne began investigating the disappearance of his ex-wife? and the mother of his son. Is it possible he was involved in her disappearance in the first place? We'll never know. Because all the answers to those questions died in a field in Tuttle, North Dakota. Five victims, four empty cars, one city, and long stretches of nothingness between these towns that may hold even more clues that a satanic cult is operating in North Dakota. What's interesting, too, about this whole thing? So let me go back to how I discovered I know I kind of ended it dramatically there, but let me go back to how I discovered this connection. Like I said, I had this bookmark about Laverne Nastrum in my folder. And I thought, why is it with these? And I was skimming it. I've been As I was preparing the episode yesterday, I go, why is this article here? When I was rereading today, I saw clearly that this guy was from Bismarck. And I thought, whoa, why didn't I pick up on that? That's not the supernatural part. That's just me skimming stuff. But I read the Laverne article, and it never mentioned once that his ex-wife had gone missing with a young boy years earlier. Not once. Well, that's weird. And then I started thinking, how did I know, like, how did I know to save this article? I had come across the Reddit post a while back that was talking about Sandra Jacobson and John Jacobson. And in it, it said, Sandra Jacobson's older son is still alive, but oddly enough, his father was murdered years later. No name of the father. I had to search the name of the son, Spencer Nastrum, found that article about the father, bookmarked it, forgot the correlation. But see, when I was trying to connect the two, when I was like, there has to be a reason why this was saved in the same area as the Sandra Jacobson stuff. 
if you typed in Sandra Jacobson, Laverne Nastrum, nothing pops up on the first page. You figure it should be bam. It should be, but nothing pops up on the first page. You'll get something on the second page halfway down. A website called Tapatalk, the Porchlight Forum. So again, the way I found out about the three missing people being connected in the first place, the Porchlight Forum sent me to an article written in 2008. 2008, after the murder of Laverne, and that article didn't even connect them. Most of these articles are dead links. When you, you'll read, you'll read this thing on the Porchlight Forum, you'll click a link, it'll take you to a page that doesn't exist anymore. This news is purged out of the system. Now, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, obviously. Someone's going in, hacking the net. But these are newspapers, and a lot of times newspapers, especially back in the day, they would purge out old articles. You're not getting a lot of hits. What's the point of having the article up there? They have copies of it. As of now, really, the only places that you can find a connection between Laverne Astrom, Sandra Jacobson, is a Reddit thread, the the Porchlight Forum, and this podcast. Even though every article about Laverne should talk about Sandra, because both cases are so bizarre. Why aren't other people making these connections? Why is it just ordinary people online? The fact that the connections aren't being made makes me think one of two things. There really is no connection other than the fact that his ex-wife disappeared a couple years before in a mysterious way, and the other two missing cases have nothing to do with each other, everything. The only thing that's in common is that victims are from the same city, and they all involve cars in some way. Or that the cases are connected and someone's actively covering up the connections. I'll be honest, I hate doing episodes like this. Absolutely despise them. And it's funny because I hate them even more before I go on break. And the reason why I hate them is every so often I do a story where I think, this is true. And not in the sense, like I've done stories where I've had experiences with like supernatural creatures and stuff like that, and I, I know that's true. And I've done stories where I believe that the story is true in a sense, but it's like some goblin jumped through someone's window. And I'm not worried about a goblin jumping through. Oh! No, I'm just joking. Did I get you? I can do stuff like that on the season finale. I'm not worried about a goblin jumping through my window. But when I do an episode that is about like a government conspiracy or a cult conspiracy, and then I'm like, see you guys in a week, it always makes me nervous. Now, I'm in Oregon. This stories take place in North Dakota. It's 14 years later after this guy gets ran over by his car. It's most likely a string of coincidences. So I should sleep safely at night. But I do walk a lot. And there's three things I worry about when I'm walking. Rabid dogs, rabid homeless people, and cars. So if something happens to me this week on vacation, if I don't come back to do the podcast, if I am knocked down or killed in a mysterious hit and run, if the plates of the car show that it came from North Dakota, avenge me, dear listener. Avenge me. That's not going to happen. I'll be back next week. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter, 
is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. But I'm so glad you listened to it today. I will see you guys next week. Have a great one. I love you all.